Welcome to Subtle Beast, everybody. I am your host, Foltz. With me, as always, my partner in crime and main man, Mr. Steve Apostolopoulos. How are you, brother? Oh, I'm good, Foltz. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. It's going to be a really, really interesting show today. Um, why don't you kind of like get into what we were talking about in pre-show, like how we were going to try and explain what we were doing here tonight? Yeah, I mean, Subtle Beast does a lot of different topics, uh, a lot of space stuff. Today's topic i would say is more of a science topic correct so uh today we will just kind of touch on genetic modifications and cloning right and like we were kind of saying in uh in pre-show steve was saying uh, a lot of people will tell us from time to time when they meet us or just out at events you can tell that you guys have been lifelong friends because the the energy that you guys share and just the, just the vibe that you guys put off. So we have known each other for a long time. There are a lot of similarities between us. But, but go ahead and say it. We are not clones. We are not clones. But are we kind of gem- genetically modified, if you will? So let's start off. Let, well, let's go back a little bit. Um, let's talk about. <clears throat> let's well. Let's just talk about GMOs. Um, like, a, what is it? A genetically? It's just a genetically modified organism. Organism. Right? So and you hear it on the news a lot. You see it on all your packaging in, in the food store, and and this this show kind of evolved from that. We were talking about. Um, uh, one of the seed manufacturers and there could be some things that they're doing that are maybe not above boards right but uh it it seems the more that we dug into that that the gmos aren't necessarily a terrible thing right um, what do you think about 90 percent 80 i would say well i would say probably unless unless you're actually growing your own organic food from seed to table chances are that it's even if it's marked organic because the standards behind organic there's so many loopholes chances are it's a genetically modified seed now when first started hearing about this and and, you know and the big company that controls it all and uh i always was like genetically modified that can't be good but what we found out was that the company well i'm just gonna say monosanto right when they when they created this genetically modified organism, it was just to protect the seed, correct? Yeah. I, that Monsanto, when you're looking back over that company's history, one of the big things that stands out for them is that they were the producer of Agent Orange. Correct. And DDT. Both, uh, you know, have... They're, they're used to kill vegetation. One we used in Vietnam to kill the vegetation, and uh, it also got a lot of our soldiers sick, and there are still many that are struggling even to this day with that, and our hearts go out to them. Yeah, I mean, I have a buddy right now who's struggling from uh, um, the, anth- from, uh, the anthrax vaccine, quote-unquote, that he got in the military, and he's got a horrible illness. Steve, know- Steve knows who I'm talking about, and... Uh, I just asked him recently. I was like, "Well, if it was from the anthrax, I said, has it been confirmed among other soldiers?" And he said, "Yeah, it has." So, wow, that's but uh, but so wh- one of the things about uh, I believe it's Monsanto, that's how you say it, is that they split apart from their chemical division. They had 
a lot of chemicals that they were working on. The last big one that they made was Roundup. And now Roundup has been uh, proven as carcinogenic and they're changing it, uh, I guess, as we speak. But one of the things that they did with uh, genetic uh, modifications is they changed the corn seed that they had so that it was immune to Roundup. Like uh, Roundup didn't affect it. It didn't kill. Um, it couldn't the, penetrate the seed. Right. But it did kill everything around it. So the farmers that used it didn't have to till their fields. They didn't have weeds stealing the water from the corn seed or stealing the sunlight from the plant. And the corn actually grew much faster. And they could put as much Roundup as they wanted on it. And it, it wouldn't affect the corn that they were growing. Yeah. So you wouldn't actually be consuming then Roundup in your food, which is what they're saying and is what it does. So Monsanto would sell you the seed, and then they would also sell you the Roundup. Yeah, so it's like our government. They'll sell you the virus, and they'll sell you the vaccine. <laughs> right. So that was their big thing with GMOs, was that they created this corn, and there's a ton of corn produced. I think it's like 80% of the corn in the world is produced in America. Yep. So it's a huge amount of corn uh, production-wise as a whole on the aggregate. Right. So a lot of people, I mean, and, and, and obviously you don't have to take our word for it on uh, of us stating that, and it's not really what we're stating as our actual opinion, but the research that we've got into, it's more or less pointed to that the GMO seed per, uh, produced by Monsanto that can't be penetrated by, uh, what, by Roundup is not necessarily a bad thing. Because if you look at it like this, um, you could technically say that human beings are gem genetically modified organisms. And everyone's probably, all right, folks, where are you going with this one? Well, when you're a baby and before that you're able to enter school, there's certain vaccines that you have to get. Now, whether you're uh, you know, a proponent for vaccines or not, these vaccines, some of them work. So to say, okay, I just got this vaccine. Now I can't be penetrated by, let's say, what Mal polio polio because if polio virus comes at me i now have ge i am genetically modified that my body now resists that something similar to the to the seed i mean it's not necessarily something bad but nothing bad is penetrating into the quality of life right so this is you know relatively new science to the human species and i don't medical science always uh, intrigues me when you think back to the old uh civil war bone saws they used to use and things of that nature that was not not very long ago yeah like three people ago yeah like two, 200 years ago and um and then to fast forward to today's medical science um, where you can transplant organs and you can use chemotherapy and there's there's so many things that we're doing right now and there's so many ways that we're increasing the age uh, the the median age I think is for a male is 76 a female 78 and and it seems to be climbing. And a lot of that is because of medical science. So that's kind of the direction we're headed with this episode. And uh, we have some views on it. We but do. But speaking of medical science, I'm just going to back up two seconds because Steve was saying that uh, not only does 
they, they, that the farmers don't have to plow the fields and such. Of course, that's saving time. But the cycle growth of the corn was uh, about three times faster. Now, again, if you want to relate that back to a human being or a human organism, what do we do to get ourselves better faster in the event that we have bronchitis or we have some type of bacterial infection? Well, we get... You go to the doctor. You would go to the doctor and we get antibiotics. So that is genetically modifying organisms or cells in our body to help us fight off this uh, this illness faster versus like I think that a doctor once told me without antibiotics, bronchitis is going to linger with you for about a good month, month and a half mm. versus six days on a pack. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, are we genetically modified as well? Now, I mean, you go back and listen to some past podcasts and that'll answer those questions as well, but I digress on that. So, for medical science, it's kind of like, uh, you know, where have we been? Where are we now? But but where we're going is, is uh, man, fascinating stuff. Well, should we, should we get into uh, what people are referring to as the most frequently asked questions that have to deal with uh, genetic modification? Sure thing. All right, here, I'll do this first one. Um, what does genetic modification mean? Well, break it down. Genetic modification, or also called genetic engineering, is the process of changing the DNA of an organism, such as a bacterium or plant or animal. These changes can be made as small as inserting or deleting a few DNA letters in the organism's genome, its complete set of DNA, to adding a new gene from a different species. Now, genetic modification is not the same as cloning, because cloning creates an exact copy of all or part of an organism's DNA. Why genetic modification makes changes to existing DNA to create a new, modified version of the gene, the genome. See, those things are so cool. The, they are to modify a genome in a in an animal or in a human. It's just, I mean, that's when I'm thinking of uh, genetically changing something. Right. Uh, I, the first thing I think of is like a designer baby. Yeah, exactly. And 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 when we're we're going to definitely get into that, um, because well, the next thing on the uh, frequently asked questions is about uh, why do scientists want to make uh, genetically modified animals? Steve, there's many reasons why a scientist would want to produce a, a genetically um, modified animal. Altering the sequence of individual genes can tell us a lot about how that gene works how it is controlled, and how it interacts with biological processes in the animal. Many GM animals are used as models of human and animal disease to help scientists discover new treatments and therapies. So, some researchers at the Roslin Institute use uh, genetically modified animals for one or both of these reasons. And others are interested in using GM animals to increase the productivity of livestock animals, such as pigs and chickens, big pork and big chicken. Using GM technology allows our scientists to introduce beneficial characteristics into a livestock breed much more quickly than by normal selective breeding. They can also add traits that could not be added by selective breeding alone. Right, because... uh and, we're, and the next question is going to be, does the genetic modification harm the animals? Well, if you, it, there are documentaries out there that you can watch where uh, uh, breeder chickens have been genetically modified. And they grow at a rate of, well, 
within if if humans grew at the same rate that they did, we would be two hundred and eighty pounds at two years old. Jeez. Yeah, so it's definitely, in my opinion, and from what I could see in these documentaries, it definitely doesn't look healthy for the chicken because eventually their legs give out, they can't move, they can't walk, and then they just develop sores all over them because, you know, well, they're sitting in chicken fecal matter always. And, uh, uh, well, I don't want to get too much into that. So let's just go, I'm just going to get into this next question. Does genetically modification harm animals? The process of GM itself is not harmful to animals but some changes particularly those found in disease models can be potentially harmful to the animal but these changes are only ever made when there's a very strong case that research will benefit human or animal health the roslin institute takes the welfare of its animals very seriously and of all of our animal research it's carried out under strict home office regulations so if you go back and and, and you examine what they're saying here uh these harmful changes can they can take place only if the research will allow benefit for human and it doesn't say and the or animal health so they're looking at the, doing this to speed up for they're thinking human health so, so that there's more uh, animal product out there for people to purchase and buy and be able to feed their families they're looking at that as a plus so that the in their case the animal suffers for the benefit of humanity right and they're making larger chicken breasts. They're making larger profit for the big Tyson and chicken companies, Purdue. Um, but as far as that particular animal goes, it, it may not be healthy for that. Animal. Right. I think what would be great is if they can do, if they're genetically modifying the genes, maybe they could do it in, in, in animals like cattle for the reason of, I mean, and you can look this knowledge up that um, eating uh, red meat, is a carcinogen. So would they be able to remove that protein from that genome that when you eat red meat or cattle or beef or whatever, that it's no longer a carcinogen? Right. Uh, Carcinogen being that it causes cancer. Correct. Uh, Red meat uh, linked with colon cancer. Correct. Therefore, a carcinogenic. All right. So how do you make a genetically modified animal? There's several different methods that scientists can use to create one. Uh, The newest and most powerful technology is that of the genome editors. Whichever method is used, GM mammals such as sheep or pigs can be produced in two methods. One is by directly injecting the modifying technology such as genome editors into one cell embryos. Because all the cells in an embryo in an embryo or animal are descended from this single cell, they will all inherit any modifications in the DNA. So I guess at that point they're saying you inject it into like the embryo. Right. Correct. The second one is by cloning a genetically modified cell using somatic cell nuclear transfer, SCNT, which is a popular way for cloning. This was the method used to produce Dolly the sheep. Everybody remembers the first uh, sheep to be cloned, Dolly the sheep, very famous. Big news. Although she was not genetically modified, she was created using an unmodified cell. Stem cells can also be genetically modified and used to make a GM mammal. However, so far scientists have only successfully isolated stem cells from a few species, including mice and rats. Birds can be genetically modified um, 
chickens are produced at the Roslyn Institute by the injection of special cells called primordial germ cells, PGCs. They can be genetically modified in a lab before being injected into a chicken embryo. Once in the embryo, the modified PGCs will form GM sperm or egg cells and breeding two adult chickens that have these modified cells produce a fully GM chicken. Wow. So if you're listening closely enough and taking notes, you too now can have your own genetically modified animal. Right. Well, what they're saying is that that second method there, that SCNT, is that is that is cloning. Correct. That is. Now, what are genome editors? Now, genome editors, they act like a pair of scissors, cutting DNA at specific target positions. Scientists can use genome editors to modify the DNA, either by inserting new DNA sequence at the cut site using a template or by allowing the cell to repair the cut on its own which often introduces small random changes at the cutting site. These changes can be as small as adding or removing a single base from an animal's genome. Now, the latest versions of genome editing or editors are capable of introducing the intended mutation into an animal's DNA without having any so-called off-target effects elsewhere in the genome. Now, genome editors are easy to use, highly efficient, and can be made to target any DNA sequence, which means they are rapidly becoming a very popular method of genetic modification. Now, although there are several different types of genome editors, the CRISPR-Cas9 system is the most commonly used. In February of 2016, the HFEA granted approval to researchers at the Crick Institute to use the CRISPR system in human embryos as part of their research into early stages of embryo development. Now, these embryos will only be grown in a laboratory, they say, and will not be transplanted into a woman to develop further. Do we really believe that? I know. That's the part. That's the crazy, crazy part about this whole Because why would you, as a scientist, your whole goal was to fulfill your experiment. You're not going to be like, all right, we got it there. We're never going to test it. I mean, there there's a bunch of other reasons why they would want it to be in the embryo to create the stem cells and to do a research on all of these diseases to see if they can make a cure. But you got to think that if you could... You would. All they need is somebody that would volunteer for it. They sign a non-disclosure agreement. I don't know how well that would hold up because the action's illegal. However, maybe that person's not not aware of that. Or they threaten them with their life. I don't know. What are they, deep state maybe? Who you knows? can always find a host. You can, right. You'll always be able to find a host. It's just, do you have the scientists that are willing to put it all on the line and and be and you know what you could do it in a country where it's not illegal right and it would be just fine yeah and here's the thing too would they be able to put these human embryos maybe like into the womb of a like a female silverback or something that would be crazy you know because it wouldn't share it wouldn't have any of those characteristics because the the cells and the and and the the modifications have already been made so it wouldn't be like it would be any part human it's just that's the incubator but i guess that that living uh embryo in there would be eating and feeding off of what the gorilla eats right so would it be enough interesting it's very interesting folks i i'm so happy that that's where your head went. Thank you. Now, what types of animals have been produced uh, at the Roslyn Institute? Many. 
GM animals have been produced. Flu-resistant chickens, for one. In the first half of 2015, avian influenza, or bird flu. Everybody remembers that one, too. Yeah, remember? Bird flu. It was responsible for almost $390 million of losses in the U.S. alone. But the research at the Institute at Cambridge University has developed chickens which do not transmit bird flu. The chickens were genetically modified to produce a small RNA molecule which mimics the structure of the flu virus and binds to proteins which are involved in the viral reproduction. Now, when these chickens are infected with bird flu, the virus replication is blocked, although the modified chickens themselves can still become infected and succumb to the flu, they do not pass the flu onto others. And they're continuing the project to try and develop chickens, which not only prevent transmission of the virus, but are also resistant to it themselves. I wonder if they've tried masks. (laughs) (laughs) For not transmitting the virus? Yeah. That's a good one, too, Fultz. You're on fire. Well, why don't you uh, jump into this next one? More productive sheep. Genome editing technology is being used at the Roslyn Institute to increase the productivity of sheep bred for the meat industry. Naturally occurring mutations that stop a gene called myostatin from functioning have shown that animals with these mutations have up to 20% more muscle mass compared to animals without the mutation. Animals with myostatin mutations convert feed to muscle more effectively, reducing the amount of resources needed to produce meat. The meat from these animals is also a higher quality and is healthier, containing less fat. These mutations have already been bred into livestock breeds, such as the Belgian blue cattle, but it can take up to 50 years of selective breeding to produce new breeds with myostatin mutations. Research at the Roslin Institute is using genome editors to accurately and efficiently introduce these mutations into sheep to increase their muscle mass. As part of this work, the first genome-edited sheep was created in 2013. That's, that's amazing. What it makes me think of as well is, um, you know, this is modern-day uh, genome editing, if you will, but if you think about the modern day house dog, and we're going to talk about this more later, um, they all started off as, as wolves, wild wolves. Yep. But if you look into the domestication of, of dogs, they would find the most docile in a, in a pack. Uh, they'd get the female, and then they'd find another pack and find the most docile in a male. And then we would breed them. And then they would have to do the same thing so that there would be another to breed those two puppies when they would be old enough. And this took hundreds of years. And now it's been like thousands of years that that the the dog's been domesticated. And they say that the dog's been domesticated for 25,000 years and that the modern day house cat has only been 3,000 years. So that's kind of why like a cat doesn't, I mean, cats do because some people say, oh, my cat comes when I call its name. My cats don't. And uh, cat comes because it thinks it's going to feed, you're going to feed. Right. Or it's going to get rubbed or something versus a dog is just all over you and loving you. And, but I guess if we'll wait and see in the next 22,000 years, I'll wait. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not in a rush. We'll see if, uh, when you come home, if your cat's like, Oh, can't wait to see you rubbing all over you and stuff like that. I don't know. Maybe they could improve the voice boxes in dogs or add a gene that helps dogs talk. Right. Oh, that would be awesome. All right. So where are we? Okay. You said we just went over the more productive, right? Yep. 
Okay, so disease-resistant pigs. Yes. We've all heard of the African swine fever virus, or the swine flu, is a fatal disease of pigs originally found in the sub-Saharan African desert, but now spreading into Europe. But in 2014, it was reported to have infected pigs in Eastern Europe for the first time and has now spread as far as west as Poland. Now, pigs infected with this die within two weeks of infection as a result of overstimulation of their immune system. But wild pig species in Africa, such as the warthog, are not affected by the swine fever. Because wild African pigs are domestic, European pigs cannot breed. Genome editors are being used to make European pigs more resistant to the swine fever. Now, scientists at the Rosalind Institute have identified a gene called the RELA, capital R-E-L-A, which is involved in the immune system and could be modified to produce ASFV-resistant pigs, or the African swine fever virus, which is involved in the immune system and could be modified to produce more resistant pigs. As part of this work, the Rosalind team produced the world's first genome-edited pig, Now, current research is trying to replace a section of the pig RELA gene with the equivalent section from the warthog to make pigs, which are resistant to the African swine fever virus. I mean, that's pretty cool. The, I guess, indigenous pigs over there, the African warthogs don't get it. uh, And then the domestic European pigs do get it. So they're just trying to splice off that part of the uh, wild African pigs to make them swine flu resistant. Right. That's that's fantastic. Now, Steve, could we end up eating food from genetically modified animals? And if we do, would it be safe? Well, Fultz, there's no reason to think that the process of genetic modification in food products would be unsafe in any way. However, each new GM plant or animal food product would have to be rigorously tested on a case-by-case basis to ensure that it is inserted or modified DNA sequences don't inadvertently produce any harmful substances, such as toxins or allergens. Any attempt to introduce genetically modified livestock into the food chain would have to be fully assessed and approved by the appropriate authorities, such as the Food and Drug Administration in the U.S. or the European Food Safety Authority in Europe. The FDA have recently approved the Aqua Advantage salmon as the first GM animal fit for human consumption, but products from GM animals will only make it onto supermarket shelves if there is a public demand for them. And and in my opinion, the public demand will come when, well, the human race realizes that your day-to-day cattle farming or whatever, chicken farming, it's not sustainable on this planet. It just isn't. Whether you believe in that or not, I mean, just do the research. They're expand- I mean, the, the amount of rainforests that are being cut down to now herd cattle and they're protected by uh, uh, like the cartels and such and i mean it's just it's a shady business and they really don't care what's happening to our resources and it's polluting water it's killing the dirt which nothing will ever grow in again so my guess is that they've all well you can check it out there are documentaries where they've started doing lab grown meat and they fry it up and the, the host tastes it and he says it tastes just like it I don't know. I saw it. 
I saw I've seen it done. Uh, was it two chains? Yes, I saw him do it. On most expensiveness or something like that. Yeah, that was. It, it is really expensive now. It may come down, and that would help with the methane gas, which is destroying the ozone layer. Right. And you're right. There is a huge uh, issue with meat production, but the issue. Uh, the root of that issue goes further than that. The root of that issue is the overpopulation of humans on the earth. Right. That is, that is the root cause of many of our issues of global warming, uh, famine. It's overpopulation. That is really the basis. But how, I mean, how are you going to stop it? I I have kids. Yeah, I mean, I have kids, but that may that, that may be the reason why actually cloning people may be illegal because, you know, like we've talked about in many podcasts, the deep state is trying to create a new world order and, and such that they need to have the world population down to about 500 million. And all that information can be read on the Georgia Stones. So, I mean, that's crazy. They just put it right out there. So, we have to wonder, are they going to or have they already either genetically modified or cloned people now in china they're using crispr china <laughs> china's crispr twins might have had their brains inadvertently enhanced now the brains of two genetically edited girls born in china last year may have been changed in ways that enhance cognition and memory the twins called lulu and nana reportedly had their genes modified before birth by a Chinese scientist scientific team using new editing tools by CRISPR. The goal was to make the girls immune to the infection of HIV, the virus that caused AIDS. Now, no research shows that the same alteration introduced into the girls' DNA, deletion of a gene called CCR5, not only makes mice smarter, but also improves human brain recovery after a stroke and could be linked to greater success in school. The answer is likely yes, it did affect their brains, says Alcino J. Silva, a neurobiologist at the University of California, Los Angeles, whose lab uncovered a major new role for CCR5 gene in memory and the brain's ability to form new connections. The simplest interpretation is that those mutations will probably have an impact on cognitive function in the twins, says Silva. He says the exact effect on the girl's cognition is impossible to predict, and that's why it should not be done. Now, he, Jian Kui, poses for the cameras. There's a picture of him. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's just the... uh, it was just showing a picture of my, my fault. Now, the Chinese team that led by Jian Ku of the Southern University of Science and Technology in Shenzhen claimed it used CRISPR to delete the CCR5 from human embryos, some of which were later used to create pregnancies. Now, HIV requires the CCR5 gene to enter the blood cell. The experiment has been widely condemned as irresponsible, and he is under investigation in China. News of the first gene-edited babies are also inflamed speculation about whether CRISPR technology could one day be used to create super-intelligent humans, perhaps as part of biotechnology race between the U.S. and China. So, 
But right now, there's no evidence that he actually set out to modify the twins' intelligence. At MIT Technology, they did a review and contacted scientists studying the effects of CCR5 on cognition. And they say the Chinese scientists never reached out to them. And he did to others from whom he hoped to get scientific advice or support. Now, as far as we know, or as far as I know, he says, we had never heard of him, says Miao Zhu, a professor at the Western University of Health Sciences in California. Now, although he never consulted the brain researchers, the Chinese scientist was certainly aware of the link between CCR5 and cognition, because it was first shown in 2016 by Xiao and Silva, who found that removing the gene from mice significantly improved their memory. The team had looked at more than 140 genetic alterations to find which made mice smarter. Which makes you think, like, if, they, if you put that, if you remove that CCR5, we'll, we'll just say from those twins, to their goal was to prevent HIV. Now, if it, if it really helps with your memory and cognition, would that be a good thing? Because, or would you still, would you like have like a photographic memory where you never forget anything? And for us to just forget mindless stuff is the way of our brain protects itself from not having to store all this useless information. Right. I, I think that this gentleman, scientist that did this experiment on these girls, first of all, I think it's horrible. Um, secondly, he, I think he was using AIDS as a cover up. I think that as soon as that information on the CCR5 gene came out that said that if you are able to um, delete that gene or at least diminish it, that you would have better cognitive uh, responses. I think that was his, I think he used AIDS as a cover up and said, you know what, we're going to make the smarter Chinese baby right now and we're going to tell the public that we were trying to eliminate AIDS from these babies right i mean you you, you use a, a cover story good for it, that it's really an edge up if you will won't necessarily say bad but i don't like that these girls are being used right now silva because of his research he sometimes interacts with figures in silicon valley and elsewhere who have in his opinion an unhealthy interest in designer babies with better brains that's why when the birth of the twins became public Silva says he immediately wondered if it had been an attempt at this kind of alteration. I suddenly realized, oh my gosh, they are really serious about this mess, says Silva. My reaction was vis visceral repulsion and sadness. Now, during a summit of gene editing, scientists that occurred two days later in Hong Kong, he acknowledged he had known all along about the potential brain effects from the UCLA research. I saw that paper. It needs more independent verification. He replied when asked about it during a Q&A session. He added, I am against using genome editing for enhancement. Now, whatever his true aims are, evidence continues to build that CCR5 plays a major role in the brain. Today, for example, Silva and a large team from the U.S. and Israel say they have new proof that CCR5 acts as a suppressor of memories and, and synaptic, or how, Steve, how do you say that word? Synaptic. Synaptic uh, connections. Now, according to their new report appearing in the journal Cell, people who naturally lack CCR5 recover more quickly from strokes. What's more, people missing at least one copy of the gene seem to go further in school, suggesting a possible role in everyday intelligence. Now, we are the first to report 
a function of CCR5 in the human brain, they say. And the first to report a higher level of education, states the UCLA biologist S. Thomas Carmichael, who led the new study. He calls the links to educational success tantalizing, but says it needs further study. The discoveries about CCR5 are already being followed up in drug trials on both stroke patients and people with HIV, who sometimes suffer memory problems. In those studies, one which is underway at UCLA, people are being given an anti-HIV drug, Merivirac, which chemically blocks CCR5 to see if it improves their cognition. Now, Silva says there is a big difference between trying to correct deficits in such patients and trying to create enhancement. Cognitive problems are one of the biggest unmet needs in medicine. We need drugs, but it's another thing to take normal people and muck with DNA or chemistry to improve them, he says. We simply don't know enough to do it. Nature has struck a very fine balance. Now, just because we shouldn't alter normal intelligence doesn't mean we can't. Silva says the genetic manipulations used to make smart mice show not only that it's possible, but changing the CCR5 has particularly big effects. Could it be conceivable that at one point in the future, we could increase the average IQ of the population? Well, he says, I would not be a scientist if I said no. The work in mice demonstrates the answer, maybe yes, he says, but mice are not people. We simply don't know what the consequences will be with in mucking around. We are not ready for it yet, he says. So here's the point of this one. These guys, everybody's uh, looking for the new psychotropic drug out there to give them an, an advantage or an edge. Sure. Um, they're the, so this is where science and technology kind of are combating each other. You've got on one hand Musk creating the Neuralink, and on the other hand these scientists checking out this new gene CC5 that's been identified. If it is uh, it, if it is present, it it is actually a hindrance to you. Right. So you want as little CCR5 as possible. So now they're talking about removing possibly one strand of it or removing the gene altogether. It definitely, there's definitely potential there, but at the same time, why bother if you're just going to get a Neuralink put in anyway? I agree. Would you put one in? A Neuralink? Yeah. Maybe not the first one. Nah, yeah. Maybe like <laughs> Model 10 or right, something. Right. That's like uh, the Apple Watch. You know, the, yeah. the first one was cool, but the sixth one's way better. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. I, I would definitely put a Neuralink in. I think it would be cool to... Uh, for lack of a better term, like search Google without talking. Yeah, but would you even really need to search Google or would someone ask you a question, just bam, you know it? I think there would have to be some type of interface. You, but, you, but, but it's it's right into your brain. But you would still have to, there would still be a, a software platform that you would have to ask it. When we get Musk on this show, we'll talk about it and we'll ask him. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, so yeah, I, I would do the Neuralink, but I mean, the first one looks huge too. Did you see it? Yeah. <laughs> and you have to like connect this piece to it. When looks you looks like use a quarter. It. Yeah. I don't want that. But some guy has it. Yeah. Some guy has it. Yeah. He volunteered for it. Now, I don't know how it's working for him. I mean, and how many programs have they written for it already? Like, I don't know. It's a brand new thing. It's not like you can just, I wonder, can you talk to somebody else without having to 
telepathically. Yeah. Like if you got close enough to them. Like a telepathic email almost, but in you you hear their voice or you just, you know what they're thinking or. I would have to think that's almost a a hundred percent positive thing. That yes, I mean, if we're at this point now where Neuralink is a what about in another hundred years? I know, man. So the gene editing, it seems almost like we've gotten this far. Don't mess it up now, like we will. <laughs> we totally will. So, like we said, we're going to get back into and in talking about dogs a little bit, and Steve's going to bring you up to par on dog cloning in the U.S. Right. So, if you have a pet that you love so much that you just can't let him go, there is a company out there named Viogen that does dog cloning. Uh, dog cloning through Viogen presents an opportunity for dog owners to open a new window for extending their relationship with their beloved pets. Dogs provide a unique form of companionship, loyalty, and love. It is difficult for many owners to imagine life without their dog. Indeed, many dogs have become members of the family. So, at Viogen Pets, many of us are loving dog owners ourselves, and we understand intimately the nature of these relationships. Viogen is a world leader in animal cloning. Our scientists have been developing successful animal cloning and reproductive technology for over 15 years. Our parent company, Transova Genetics, was started by a small group of veterinary scientists and has been developing the science behind these practices for over 30 years. We have produced thousands of happy, healthy, cloned cows and hundreds of cloned horses, among other animals. The same practices and expertise that underlie these successes are now being brought to dog cloning through Viogen Pets. Our vision at, G- at Viogen Pets is to continue to develop and grow the science so that dog cloning is available to all dog owners. Wow. Uh, I don't think that the horses that were cloned, they look like they're very happy. You can just tell by <laughs> the long faces. <laughs> I couldn't resist. And the price, faults? Uh, 50 Gs if you want to clone your dog. So if you've got money to burn... <laughs> And you love your dog like everybody does. Well, you can have another one. But not, but here's the thing. And me and Steve were talking about this while developing this show. Let's take it a step further before we wrap it up here with dogs real quick. Um, if, they were to, if they were to clone humans, okay, uh, let's say for me, for instance, it would, it would look like me. It would have similarities. It would have a lot of the same mannerisms. But it wouldn't be me to any capacity because for it to be me, it would have had to have gone through everything that I've gone through. It would have to experience everything that I've experienced that makes you who you are today. So, Well, that's not the only way. There's also the Vulcan mind meld. Okay. Which is uh, what Spock did on Star Trek. Right. I believe right before he passed away, he was able to transfer all of his consciousness to someone else. Wow. So if you could transfer your consciousness to the clone, then it could be you. But I don't know that anybody knows how to transfer. You could maybe use the Neuralink. Maybe the Neuralink's the future for consciousness transfer. Right. If you could transfer your consciousness to a new uh, body, cl- cloned body, 
cloned yeah. body. Which there is a movie out there. I can't think of what it's called, but me and Steve watched it. It's really good. I did watch it. Uh, and it, but that was super rich guys. I mean, if yeah, ever, oh yeah, like two hundred fifty million dollars. Right. If people are are if the average Joe is getting a Neuralink, and you can score a cloned body, then it wouldn't be you know just for the super elite. Right. And but as more popular as it becomes, obviously the price will drop. I can remember the first time I saw somebody uh, with a BlackBerry. I, all I could think was, my God, that guy must make a ton of money. And I was because I was thinking that phone right there. It gets on the internet. <laughs> you know, it was crazy. I mean, well, and here's the other thing. You know a lot of crappy people. I know a lot of people that oh, yeah. just, you know, at the end of your life, maybe that's all. Yeah. Just like pull the one plug out that they, <laughs> that they need in there for the uh, consciousness transfer. Just let them go. Right. Then that should be like a feature right when they're putting it in. Like, do you want the extra consciousness transfer that, you know, because if you do, you have to go through these tests to make sure that you're not a, a crappy person. Right. And then they look up at the family and they're shaking their heads no vigorously. They're no. Like, don't, don't do it. Don't let them transfer. They're like, okay, your family said that they're going to do it. And he looks back. They're like, we're not going to do it. <laughs> we're not going to put that part of it in. <laughs> oh, false. That's funny. So if you're cloning your dog, uh, we know that many dog owners have questions about cloning dogs. I, for one, do. A dog is simply, a clone dog is simply a genetic twin of your dog, born at a later date. Now, the clone twin will share many of the key attributes of your current dog, often including intelligence, temperament, and appearance. The genetic identity of cloned dogs is identical to the original dog. Dog cloning does not involve any changes to the genes of your dog. Clone dogs live full, healthy, and happy lives and are no more susceptible geez, to health problems than any other dogs. The first step in having the option to clone your dog is to preserve your dog's genes through genetic preservation. Your veterinarian will collect a small tissue sample from your dog. This process is a minor procedure. That tissue sample will then be mailed to via Gen Pets, where we will culture new cells that share the same genetic makeup. We will then freeze the cells until you're ready to clone your dog, a.k.a. when your dog passes away. So, so, so I don't know. Yeah, say you got a dog. Do you name it the same name? If it's got the exact genetic makeup, do you, does it die the same way? Unless it got hit by like a car or something. Right. Like, like oh, this dog's going to last eight years. Yeah, you got a dog. The dog's name's Astro. You get the dog again. 2.0 you name yeah you name it astro but then someday you're looking at the dog and you're like i know you're not astro exactly astro turns on you <laughs> i don't know if he would turn on you, you but don't he, he wouldn't be the original and you're right would it meet the same dem- demise you know i think it would be a sad reminder of the loving relationship you had with your first dog but you look like this dog but i know that it's not you you would love it. Yeah, I think that it's kind of different for the dogs. For people, I could understand. Say we take the great minds of our time, you know, the Einsteins, and we use a new body to allow them to continue their work. Uh, you know, where would Steve Jobs have been if he wasn't taken from us? So many people. Correct. If it's deservingly so, and it, that's another gray area, like what makes it deservingly so, but... well. Yeah, what makes essential non-essential? You don't know. So, other than dogs and cows and horses, yeah, did you know that you can clone a llama? I didn't. 
I'm, I'm not sure that you can. It's not on the list, but a camel is. Oh, wow. Nice one, Steve. I, I thought I was losing some. Yeah, and so is a carp and a cat. You can uh, you can uh, clone cattle. Jeez, uh, they've been cloning cattle for quite some time. In Brazil, I believe, since 2000. Uh, coyotes, just what you want to clone. Right, yeah, let's make more coyotes. Jeez, uh, what does it say here? That clone... Eight coyotes. They cloned eight coyotes in 2011 using domestic dogs as the surrogate mothers. Well, that makes sense. There you go. They could have used a silverback. <laughs> that would have been something. Oh, my gosh. What is it? It's a coyote. <laughs> Coming out of that ape. Uh, yeah. Well, they have deer. That's the last thing we need here. I can see why they were cloning them in Texas because I've been hunting down in Texas, and with all the exotics they have down there, the white-tailed deer are really tiny. So maybe they're trying to grow the population obviously dogs right right tadpoles which we were talking about they used in uh steve brought up they used jurassic Jurassic park Park as the uh as the incubator if you will well that was yeah they used their dna to fill in the missing genetic code of t-rex right right that they found inside the amber inside the mosquito that was inside the amber so, we also have fruit flies. Why anybody would want to do that, I have no idea. That, that had to be a grueling process under a microscope. What's a guar? A guar, it's a species of wild cattle, I believe. Huh. And then goats, obviously. Horses. A house moose. <laughs> or a house mouse, I'm sorry. Yep, I love it. A house mouse. I don't, there again, it's cool that they can do it, but they're doing, like, it seems like they're doing it to do it right and here i mean here's just proof that they can do it for humans too because they can clone a monkey i mean and and that's the missing link there's only three percent difference in our dna right the macaw yeah the crab eating macaw what else do we have on this list uh um i don't even know what that is a mouflon a mouflon oh uh, like a lamb yep a mule a pig an ibex, which is basically like a, uh, it's like a big, sh- I want to say sheep or like a r- almost ram like, but like a the, ram. but the uh, the rack is a vertical and it can and it can it can wrap around into multiple circles. Rabbits. That's um, funny because they they uh, mate very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Sheep. We have what else? Um, we got the Arctic wolf. Uh, I think that completed the list for what's been cloned so far. Right. I think some animals are easier to clone than others. I think you're right. <clears throat> so we're going to get into this last section of the podcast. on, And this is Steve's going to start us off with human reproductive cloning. The curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. Sometimes what doesn't happen is as interesting as what does. Cloning human embryos has been possible for nearly seven years. Yet, as far as we know, during that time, no one has made a cloned baby or apparently has tried to make one. And what I find most surprising is that no one has announced that they intend to make one. Why is that surprising? Let's go back almost 23 years to 1997. Ooh, good year. On that day, news leaked out that the scientific journal Nature was about to publish a report of the birth of the first mammal cloned from adult cells, a sheep named Dolly. 
It's amazing to think that was back in 97. I know. The world was shocked, surprised, scared, and titillated. I hate it when when, when the world's titillated. Creating Dolly meant taking an egg from one sheep, removing its DNA, carrying nucleus, fusing it into the egg from a cell from another sheep. In this case, from a cell line from a sheep that had been dead for several years. Then hitting the resulting cell with a jolt of electricity. When this technique finally worked, the researchers tried it unsuccessfully 250 times. The resulting cell began to grow and divide. It was successfully implanted in a sheep's uterus and eventually became a healthy lamb. Although this clone was just a sheep, the discussion turned immediately to cloned humans cloned designer babies and armies of cloned warrior slaves governments around the world rushed to ban human cloning or to say that they had already banned human cloning a procedure that had never been done or even tried at that time at the same time in the first years after dolly's announcement various people and groups said they were going to clone a human One of the first was the aptly named Richard Seed, a physicist who, in spite of his well-covered announcements, seemed to have done nothing. Two OBGYNs, Severino Antinori, there you go, yes, and Paniotis Savos, proclaimed their intention to create the first human clone within two years. Both said they had successfully started human clonal pregnancies, but neither one had ever announced any births. Wow. So it begs the question, are they just hiding it from the public or did they never do it? Right. In that case, that that is very interesting. That is. Now, we've all heard of these different religious cults that go on throughout the world, but one of the most fascinating seems to be one called the the Raelians. Now, they announced that the, the religious command from aliens told them to go forward with cloning humans. I, I'm with them already. In 1997, after three months after Dolly's birth was announced, the group created Clonaid, an organization dedicated to that end. Led by a biochemist, <clears throat> pardon me, Bridget Bozelier, the Raelians operate a laboratory in Nitro, West Virginia, aimed at human cloning until stopped by the Food and Drug Administration. Undaunted, Clonade moved its operation to the Bahamas. On December 27, 2002, the group announced that the, they had successfully cloned the first baby, and they named it Eve, and it had been born the day before. By 2004, Clonade claimed to have successfully brought to life 14 human clones. These claims are widely disbelieved, in part because Clonade did not allow independent testing of the babies, supposedly to protect the privacy of the babies and their families, which can be understanding. That could be HIPAA, if you will. Or or cult. I mean, they have their own rules. (laughs) Or cult, yeah. Um, As far as we know, neither the Raelians nor anyone else succeeded in using the Dolly 
process technically called somatic cell nuclear transfer to clone humans. Now, in the meantime, more conventional researchers were discovering just how hard it was to clone human embryos or even non-human primate embryos. These researchers were not trying to make babies. They were trying to make clone human embryos, and they hoped keep them alive long enough to make human embryonic stem cell lines from them, cell lines that would be important for research and might be crucial for clinical uses. Now, if you could make cells, tissues, or organs from cells grown from embryo cloned as <clears throat> from a pro- prospective patient, so the thinking went those cells or their products should not trigger an immune response when transplanted into the patient. That could make cells, tissues, and organs vastly important as treatments. But although researchers succeeded in removing the nuclei from primates, eggs, and then fusing them together with other cells with their own nuclei, the resulting cells would only divide a few times. These fused cells never survived long enough, about five or six days, to let researchers make cloned human or non-human primate embryonic stem cell lines from them. Did you ever see the picture of the ear on the on the mouse? Yeah, on the mouse where they were growing the human ear, just based off of that so that they could transplant it then. It was basically a human ear living off of the life Same system thing, of man. a mouse. Yeah. Just with the organs. Yeah. In March of 2004, Wang Wusuk, a South Korean scientist, and his colleagues reported in the Journal of Science that they had successfully cloned human embryos and had derived human embryonic stem cell lines from the two of them. The next year, they reported having created 11 human embryonic cell lines from 185 eggs using a wide range of sources for their body cells. This seemed to open the door to using somatic cell nuclear transfer to create human embryonic cells and from them create differentiated human cells and tissues from a patient's own body cells or to make clone babies. Either way, I mean, if you're looking for stem cells to treat uh disease or yeah something that you have or to make a whole new baby you have it already completed right which makes you think like you know some of these ancient cultures or cults they used to sacrifice babies and drink their blood i wonder if it was for these purposes right to try and obtain it now but december 2005 wang's work was shown to an entirely for to be entirely fraudulent and although zavis Zavos continued to talk about his efforts to clone humans as late as 2008. People stopped listening. Not all researchers interested in cloning were making big, unsubstantiated claims. Being shortly after the announcement of Dolly's birth, Shaurat Metilopov and his team at Oregon State Health University worked on cloning, using more than 15,000 monkey eggs in an effort to make cloned non-human primate embryos. In 2017, they reported making embryonic stem cell lines from monkeys and finding that was quickly replicated. They were not able, however, to make baby monkeys from those cloned embryos. took another six years, but for Matilopov, group to report successfully cloned human embryos, in that case from human embryonic cells and making two human embryonic stem cell lines from those cloned embryos. The following year, they reported having done the same with cells from adult humans. Other laboratories quickly replicated their work, 
Now, Matilopov was no fraud. His cloned human embryos were real. Oddly, the secret ingredient that led to his success with humans was adding caffeine to the culture medium. Now, Matilopov made no effort to transfer human embryos made by cloning into women for possible pregnancy and birth. As far as we can tell, neither has anyone else. But in January of 2018, a Chinese group led by Qiang Sun and Xian Lu reported the births of the first monkey clones. It was not an efficient process. About 80 cloned embryos led to six pregnancies and two live births. Even so, reproductive cloning had succeeded for the first time in a primate. Now, for nearly seven years, then, the scientific community has had a solid proof that human embryos can be cloned. And we have known for two years that cloned monkey embryos can yield cloned infant monkeys. So why has no one announced an effort to make cloned human babies? The laws have not changed substantially in the last two decades. Some countries banned human reproductive cloning, some before Dolly, some after, but generally before the announced cloning efforts of nearly 2000s, still, many countries have never banned it. Other things, however, have changed in the cloning world. On the one hand, the value of using cloned human embryos to produce stem cell lines from an adult has been cast into doubt by competition from induced pluripotent stem cells. Pluripotent. I'm sorry, pluripotent stem cells. These were initially made by using several genes, now several proteins produced by some of these genes to cause normal cells, now usually skin cells, to become like embryonic stem cells. These stem cells first made from mice by Shinya Yamanaka in 2006, and then a year later by humans by both Yamanaka and James Thompson, can like embryonic cells produce all the cell types of living human from cells carrying the individual's own DNA? Like transplanting embryonic stem cells from cloned human embryos, transplanting introduced pluripotent stem cells into a patient should avoid triggering his or her immune system. And making induced pluripotent stem cell lines is far simpler than making embryonic stem cell lines from cloned human embryos. No eggs. No embryos, no ethical or political concerns. And that goes back to the thing that we were talking about where they're trying to take that CC5 uh, gene out. And in the end, it's really moot if you're going to get, you know, a neuro plant uh, device, a neuro link put in. Correct. Same thing here. They're creating these embryos to get the stem cells out of them. And here we are creating a technology that's changing skin cells into what essentially is like an embryonic stem cell, which they use uh, in combating diseases, similar to a T cell, where it'll change into whatever type of cell you need it to change into. That way, if you're if you have a a maybe a cancer in uh, your kidney, you it'll change into a kidney cell. That's why they want those. Right. You want to bring us home here in this last section? But we can create them, so we don't really need the the technology. We don't need to go through all that stuff. That's why they're saying no eggs, no embryos, and no ethical or political concerns. So on the other hand, non-human cloning has become, to some extent, normalized. Several companies offering cloning services for pets, especially dogs. There we go. And for livestock. Indeed, the world's champion polo team has for several years used cloned ponies. 
the markets for these companies, they're not huge, but the firms survive. And they claim that the safety and effectiveness of their their methods keeps improving. And then there's CRISPR, the new kid on the block. After Jennifer Dodna, Emmanuel Charpentier, and colleagues laid out in June of 2012 the potential use of CRISPR as a tool for DNA editing. Visions of edited embryos and super babies danced in their heads. The revelation in late uh, November of 2018 that Chinese scientist Zhang Kao used CRISPR to successfully edit embryos, we talked about that whole article, that led to the birth of two babies, Distracted attention from cloning. Why settle for a mere genetic copy of a living person when one could try to make a new and improved version? All of which leads me to today. Where are the cloners? Who would be Richard Seed 2.0 or Clonade 2.0? You know, we wish we knew. It is now clear that many countries would treat human cloning as illegal in one way or another. But others with bigger things to worry about would not. And the perceived desire for cloned humans has not entirely dissipated. Couples grieving over the loss of a beloved child have sadly not disappeared. Ambitious young scientists eager to make a splash with a firm, if unfounded, expectation that even if initially rejected, they will ultimately be hailed as modern Galileos have not disappeared either. Witness Zhang Kao, although... He did get a three-year prison sentence announced at the end of 2019. That may have a chilling effect on some of them, or at least might lead them to be more careful about where they operate. And those who could star in their favorite fictional plot, egocentric billionaires who want to clone themselves, have only increased in numbers, and it seems plausible in revealed egocentricity, some of these billionaires are openly pursuing immortality, so why not look into cloning? Presumably, the Raelians aren't interested after having announced that they have successfully cloned 14 children more than 15 years ago, but it is a big world with lots of unusual people. Why hasn't one of them yet followed in the footsteps of many who, in the first years after Dolly, announced their intentions to clone humans? You know, part of me would like to say that people have understood from the writing of scientists and bioethicists and experts that a clone would not be that special. It would never be an exact copy of a living or formerly living person. But as much as I would like to believe that, I don't. Recent years have not been kind to the idea that people listen to experts. Is cloning passe? Its moment in the spotlight having come and gone? If, that's the, if that is, then why? I think the real mystery is that it's particularly an important one, but it might provide some insight into public opinion, press behavior, moral panics, and other more important aspects about social behavior in the face of startling discoveries in the biosciences. At the very least, it is a puzzle, one for which I invite solutions, total or partial, from any reader or listener or anybody that's out Investigator. Yeah, so, I mean, it makes you think a lot about a lot of different things. So, I mean, if you've been a fan of Subtle Beast for a while, I mean, we've been talking about cloning 
for a long time. I mean, go check out our episode if you haven't on um, ET intervention with the with the human race. I mean, it seems to have been going on for thousands of years with, between extraterrestrial races and primates using primates. Um, it's just it's just really fascinating. Uh, I think that if they're able to transfer consciousness into a new healthy clone body, maybe let's say like they're able to just like the cycle of growth, they can get like a human body or a human embryo to the age of like 25, like within a year of growing. And then they just upload your disease ridden body consciousness into this new body. And you know, you go live your life down by the waterfall that's providing for everything. Right. It, it doesn't seem uh, – that that's the real trick. It doesn't seem like they're going to, like, take your brain out of one body and put it in another body. That doesn't seem to be, like, what the answer is. It seems to be more of just a transfer of consciousness. Yeah, collecting energy, a, uh, a significant pulse, if you will, and, but, and be able to transfer that. So, Because everything we do really is an electric pulse – when we look at something, there's an electric pulse that goes to our brain. When we touch something, there's an electric pulse telling our brain what we feel. It's all energy. When our heart beats. Yeah, but but can we capture that energy? And it makes me think of Ghostbusters when they would trap the ghosts in that box. Yes. They can do that. Then maybe there's hope for human cloning. I don't necessarily need another one of me around having a good oh, life. Oh, folks, come on. We'll keep you around for a while. I think that the census on that one would be divided directly down the middle. (laughs) How about about this, though? How about we we cross the two things together and we clone, but also genetically modify. So if I wanted to, I could pick out a new and improved version of myself. Oh, man, that's a rabbit hole right there. That is. I mean, I, I have an autoimmune disease. I would definitely want that gene spliced from the DNA. Because uh, it's not fun, but uh, who knows what the future holds? My grand, our grandkids, uh, like they say, the life expectancy for a male is what seventy six, a female seventy eight. But technically, it's supposed to be about one hundred and twenty years. So there's a lot of things that we're doing in our lives that are leading to an early death, whatever they may be. Maybe they be vices. Maybe they be the I don't know what the foods we're eating. Who knows? But what does the future hold for? cloning and genetic modification it's all it's it's anyone's guess so that's our show for today i hope you enjoyed it as much as we did making it for you and uh until next time i'm folds and i'm steve and we'll see you next time take care one another bye-bye